Good to see all of you. Good to be with you. And can you believe that you know Easter is only four weekends away? You know, it, it is very quick. Time flies. And Easter is one of the greatest celebrations of the Christian calendar, isn't it? Because we're coming to remember the death of Christ, to remember His resurrection. So over the next few weeks, one of the things that we will have will be postcards on the seats. And what I want you to do when you see those postcards is to take those postcards and use it as an opportunity to invite your friends or the, your loved ones or people in your circle to come to our Easter services to hear the gospel message, to hear the death and resurrection of Christ. So on Good Friday, we will have two services that will be going on. And over the Easter weekend, we will have our normal three uh, services. And um, over the Easter weekend, we will also have the children's choir as part of those services. So it is going to be a great time as we come, as we celebrate you know, the death and resurrection of Christ. So let me encourage you, over the next few, few weeks, think about who you can invite. Think and pray about the people in your life that you can just invite, give that postcard to and say, come, come and hear about the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. So uh, be encouraged and keep praying for that. Let me say a quick prayer before we go straight to our sermon. Let me pray. Father, we pray as we come to your word, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you trust me? Four simple words in a question. Do you trust me? A simple question, but yet we recognize underneath that question, there's a depth to it. There is a complicated set of assumptions and relationship between the two people that, in that question, isn't it? A stranger who comes up to you while walking on, in the streets of Northbridge and asking you, do you trust me, is very different than your mom coming to you and saying, do you trust me? Let me give you a simple example. Might be a little bit trivial, but a simple example from an animated movie from Aladdin. Not the live-action remake, the animated one. And in that movie, Aladdin was uh, someone who lived in the streets, who had no home. And most of the time, he had to steal to survive the day. And then we have another character. We have Jasmine. And Jasmine is the princess, the daughter to the sultan. And she lives in the palace, but she feels suffocated by her surroundings. And so Jasmine, she escapes the palace. She goes to the marketplace in the city. She's disguised as somebody else. And because of her inexperience in dealing with the street merchants, she got into trouble. Aladdin saw that he tried to help her to escape the palace guards, so they ran around. And one point, they were in the, uh, on the roofs of the house, and looks like they were trapped with nowhere to go. Aladdin turns to Jasmine, holds out his hand and says, Do you trust me? Now, how should she answer that question? Well, it's the first time they have met. They don't know much about each other. They don't know each other's history. They know, don't know what each other's character is like. And Jasmine could have easily revealed who she was 
to the palace guards and she would have gotten out of trouble. And so if we analyze the situation, there's simply no good reason for her to say yes, isn't it? Well, it's not wise. Of course, in a movie, she did say yes. But what happens when God comes and essentially he asks us, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Should we trust God? Is it wise to trust God? What's the difference between Aladdin asking Jasmine and God coming to us and asking us that question? And we will look at that today in our sermon. In our sermon series, as you know, over the last few weeks, we have been looking through the book of Romans. And this week, we are looking at Romans chapter 4. Now, as always, we need to remember the context leading up to our chapter. Last two weeks, we've been seeing that Paul is saying, Jews and Gentiles, they are sinful, none are righteous. And the only way we can stand before God righteous is to have faith alone in Christ. Right? We receive God's righteousness, right? Standing before God when we have faith in, alone in Christ alone. That's how we are justified for Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, when you say something like that in the first century, when Paul says something like that in the first century, the Jews, they would have something to say about that. Right? In their mind, that's not how someone is able to stand before God righteous. And the one person they will point to is Abraham, their forefather in the faith. And they believe that Abraham, they, he obeyed God, and therefore God blessed him with his promises. Right? Abraham's obedience is the one thing that secured him God's promises or God's um, blessings. Let me read you one quote from a Jewish writing about Abraham. It is from the book of Sirach, for those of you who want to know these sort of things. Chapter 44, this is what it says about Abraham. Abraham was the great father of a multitude of nations, and no one has been found like him in glory. He kept the law of the Most High and was taken into covenant with him. He established a covenant in his flesh, and when he was tested, he was found faithful. Therefore, the Lord assured him, by an oath that the nations will be blessed through his posterity, that he will multiply him like the dust of the earth and exalt his posterity like the stars and cause them to inherit from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. In another writing, this is what said of Abraham, Abraham was perfect in all of his actions with the Lord and he was pleasing through righteousness all the days of his life. And so for the Jews, they saw Abraham as somebody who is obedient to God. And because of his obedience to God, God blessed Abraham. God saw him as righteous because he was obedient. I mean, if you read the story of Abraham, God asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, what did Abraham do? He obeyed. That's why he's righteous, isn't it? How can you possibly say that someone is declared righteous by faith alone? That's, that's not possible. That's not what the Old Testament is. That's not what it teaches. That's not what the Scriptures teaches. Now, of course, Paul knows this. And this is where we come to Romans chapter 4. He anticipates these objections and he answers those questions. So we're going to look at the whole chapter of Romans 4. 
And in our Bible reading, we covered verses 1 to 8 already. And now I will read from verse 9 onwards to the end of the chapter. And as always, if you have your own Bibles, just turn to Romans chapter 4, particularly your physical Bibles, then you, know, you can see the whole context uh, and as we go through the whole chapter. And so turn with me to Romans chapter 4, and I'll read from verse 9 onwards. And if you are able, let me invite you to stand, and I'll read from verse 9 to the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 4. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? He was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as the sign, a seal of the righteousness he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is, also, he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and a promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there's no law, there's no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our Father in the sight of God, in whom He believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into beings things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Please be seated. <clears throat> so three main points from this chapter, as we will see from uh, Paul. So point number one, justified by faith alone is in the Old Testament. Justified by faith alone is in the Old Testament. So verse one Paul says, what then shall we say about Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter, this matter of justified by faith? What actually happened with Abraham? For all the Jews talk about Abraham, they overlook his unfaithfulness and his sins. Right? They talk about his obedience, they talk about his faithfulness, but yet they just overlook his unfaithfulness and his sins. 
For example, Abraham, he lied about his wife being his sister. Not once, twice, for fear of his life. He was not a sinless man. And in fact, if Abraham was justified by works, according to Paul, in verse 2, he would have something to boast about. But he did not, and therefore he could not boast before God. And Paul's reasoning in verse 4, he says this, Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. If we are justified by our works and our obedience before God, then our salvation is not a gift from God. It is something that we earned from God, like we earn wages from a workplace. And if that's the case, then I can boast about how great I am, about how obedient I am, about our efforts, about all the things that I do for God, if we are justified by works. But that's not what we read in Genesis. Look at what Paul says, verse 3. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So notice that Abraham believed God, had faith in God, trusted in God. And that faith, that trust, was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was justified by faith alone in God. He did not work to earn God's righteousness, and therefore he does not have anything to boast about. And so we come back to the whole idea that this Justified by faith alone, we are declared righteous by faith alone, is not something new. It's not something that Paul came up with. He points his readers back to the Old Testament and shows them it is already there, even to Abraham. To the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Abraham had that faith in God, and therefore it was credited to him as righteousness, he trusted God. And it wasn't just Abraham. Paul quotes King David, and King David himself says the same thing when he was writing Psalms, Psalm 32. David talks about the blessedness of our transgressions being forgiven, our sins covered, God never counting our sins against us. That's justification. That's God declaring that we are not guilty, our sins forgiven, by faith alone in God. And this, is, this idea of being justified by faith alone is all over the Old Testament. And Paul uses Abraham's circumcision to make his point in verse 10. Under what circumstances was Abraham's righteousness credited to him? Was it before or after his circumcision? Well, it was not after. It was before in chapter 15 of Genesis. Circumcision was not a condition through which Abraham received God's promise. That's not what happened. God did not say to Abraham, go through circumcision, then I'll give you my promise. No, no, no. Circumcision was the seal of the righteousness he had by faith, even before he was circumcised. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was all about being justified by faith alone, trusting in God alone. And from this passage, we 
get a hint from Paul. We get a, an idea of how we need to read the Old Testament. You see, many times we, we know individual stories in the Old Testament. Right? We know great, exciting stories from the Old Testament. Right? For example, we know God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments to obey. We know that story. We know that happened. We learn somewhere else that, you know, the Israelites, they were slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh. We know that story. And we also know that, you know, God miraculously, He redeemed His people out of slavery in Egypt. We know those stories individually. But the order of these stories are very important. And one of the things that we need to know is how these individual stories are linked and flow into one another. Just like how Paul is emphasizing that Abraham was circumcised and he was justified, he was justified before he was circumcised. That order is very important. I think, imagine this. Imagine of the time the Israelites were under slavery in Egypt. They were oppressed as slaves. God comes, he sends his redeemer in the person of Moses. And then Moses says to the Israelites, I can see, God can see that you are all suffering under oppression and groaning under the yoke of slavery. And so what's going to happen? Here are my Ten Commandments. If you obey all of these things properly, I will redeem you out of slavery. Is that what happened? They would have never been redeemed like that. That was not what happened. God redeemed them out of slavery from Egypt freely. He brought them through the wilderness. They did not do anything to earn their salvation. And it is only after that that He gives them His laws to mark them out as God's people. Right? They were redeemed by God through faith in His appointed Redeemer. The order of the story is very important. Right? The law wasn't given to them to save them via their obedience. That's not what happened. The law came later, after they have been redeemed. And so God saved them out of His sheer grace, and after that, He gives them His law to obey as His people, just like how Abraham was counted as righteous before he was circumcised. And that's Paul's point here, that being justified by faith alone is already there in the Old Testament. In fact, it's all over the Old Testament. This is not new. Justified by faith alone is in the Old Testament. And one simple application that we can draw from this passage is that when we read the Old Testament, we need to be reminded that, you know, the gospel is already there. The gospel is already there. And when we read the stories of the Old Testament, we need to know the big picture and where those stories fit together. And reading it in the right order or knowing the story in the right order gives us a big picture of who God is and how He has always dealt with His people. That they are saved by faith alone, not by our works. Not by our works. Obedience comes after that. And when we do that properly, we will not make the same mistakes as the Pharisees. Like the Pharisees in the New Testament, they were high and mighty about all the great obedience they have. 
and they completely miss that the Old Testament is all about Jesus. And they can boast about their obedience, about their good works, because they have misunderstood the Old Testament. Justified by faith alone is in the Old Testament. That's the first point. Second point, this will be a short one. Justified by faith alone is for everyone. Justified by faith alone is for everyone. Let me read a few verses from our passage, verse 16 onwards. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. And notice who are Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, that is the Israelites or the Jews, but also to those who have faith, the faith of Abraham, Gentiles. He is the father of us all. Notice what he says here. This promise of justification by faith alone has nothing to do if you're a Jew or Gentile. It is all for those who have the same faith as Abraham. And all those people who trusted in God, they are the offspring of Abraham. And the point that Paul is making here is that it's not about nationality, not about culture, not about ethnicity, but rather who we have faith in, who is the object, the person that we have faith in. That's the question. Abraham, he was justified before he was circumcised. And because of that, he then becomes the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised. And he's also the father of those who have been circumcised, but also have the same faith as Abraham. And so the emphasis is faith or trust alone in God. That's what Paul is emphasizing here. Right? A Jew is not automatically saved because they are a Jew. They still needed to have faith in God. Their ethnicity does not save them. Only faith in God. And that's wonderful news. That's wonderful news because then it means salvation is not limited to a special group of people. It is for everyone. And one of the greatest blessings you know, of the Christian church is that you know, the Christian church can be found all across the world, across different cultures, different, different nations. It is not limited to the West. It is a global faith with very different expressions of that faith in different countries. All because being justified by faith, by faith alone, is for everyone. And it's important for us to think closer to home for us as well. Being justified by faith alone, our faith is for everyone with different backgrounds, with different jobs, different statuses. It's for those who are young, those who are single, married, rich, poor, lawyer, janitor, engineer, gardeners, cleaners, born in the city, born in the country, those who have migrated to Perth, those who have grown here, it is for everyone. And this evening we saw the baptism of two young children in the faith. Tomorrow we, there's a baptism of someone from the Middle East. And then there's another baptism of someone who is in their 80s. It is for everyone. And that's why Paul says in another letter, in Galatians chapter 3, he says this, there's neither, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, notice this, 
then you are Abraham's seed as according to the promise. Verse 16, Abraham is the father of us all in Christ. We are all united in Christ, Abraham as our forefather in the faith. And if that's the case, it adds another layer in our reading of the Old Testament, isn't it? Because now it's not just a story where we can read about God's amazing grace, as good as that is. If Abraham is our forefather in the faith, then the story of the Israelites is our story as well. Because we're part of that same family. Verse 17, he is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. Justified by faith alone is for everyone. Now, there's one question we need to ask. Justified by faith alone, well, what do we have faith in? Well, faith and trust, because it doesn't stand by its own. It's always having faith in or trusting in something or someone. What is it? And that's where we come to point number three. Justified by faith alone in God's promises. Justified by faith alone in God's promises. Let me read through verse 18 to 21. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as he had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. In Genesis 12, God gave Abraham the promise that he was going to be the father of many nations. And so Abraham waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and his, him and his wife, Sarah, they still could not bear a child. And even though he was 100 years old and Sarah was past childbearing age, he still did not weaken in his faith. Right, verse 20, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. That's what he had faith in, the promise of God. And so when we ask the question of who or what do we have faith in, the answer is that we have faith in God, but more specifically, it is faith in God's promises. Because when we say we have faith or when we trust in someone, we usually mean that we believe or we have faith or trust in someone's promise or what they say. Right? If, some, if there's somebody who's never communicated or said anything to you, well, there's nothing to have faith or trust in. But when we say we have faith and trust in someone, we usually talk about what they say and what they promise. And so when we come to God, He has given us great promises. And for Abraham, God promised that his offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And even though he was 100 years old and he still did not have a child, that never stopped him because he was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he has promised. God always fulfills his promises because, well, he's a sovereign God. A sovereign God who is faithful to his word. 
And so we have faith in God's promises. And in context here, the promise that we are talking about is what Paul has just told us in chapter 3, that we are justified by faith alone in Christ Jesus, who has redeemed, who has justified us. 3.21, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That righteousness can be received by faith. That is God's promise to us. We have faith in that promise. And so that's why one of the things that we do all the time as God's people is to listen and to hear God's promise preached to us. Every week we gather, we sing praises to God, we hear from God. When that happens, what are we doing? We listen to God's promises to us once again. We have baptism this evening. What's baptism? Baptism is a visual proclamation of the promises of God in Christ. It is the picture of the gospel of God being applied to the person being baptized. That person saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. I follow Him. I identify with Him. As they get baptized, we praise God because that's God's promise to us. It's being proclaimed to us once again. And we do the same with the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. Because what's happening at the Lord's Supper when we celebrate it, it is a picture of the gospel, of the promises of God being proclaimed to each one of us as we partake of the bread and of the cup. See, those two things are visual proclamation of God's promises in Christ. That God has loved us in Christ, sealed in our hearts by the Spirit. And every time we gather and we celebrate baptism or we celebrate the Lord's Supper, And when we hear the preaching of the word, and what is the word if not the promises of God given to us? And every time we do that, every time we come and we celebrate all of that, it's as if God comes to us, He holds out His hand and says to us, Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And every week, we receive, we read the connect cards, And every week, one of the things that strikes me is that we receive a lot of prayers for loved ones or close friends to come to know Jesus. They're asking for prayer for the salvation of those who are dear to Him, to them. Some of you may be here. Do you trust God? Do you trust that God has the power to save them? And sometimes, humanly speaking, it is impossible for us to see how they can come to know Christ. But do you trust God who has the power to save them? And for those of us who are here who may not know Christ, but you're going through life and you're struggling, you're trying to make ends meet, do you trust that God can provide you with that light in your life? Do you trust trust God when He says that whoever believes in the Son shall not perish but have everlasting life? And for those of us who follow Jesus, do you trust God when He says that there's nothing that will separate us from the love of Christ? Do you trust that God will never leave you nor forsake you? Do you trust in His promises? Do you trust God that we will one day see our loved ones again in a new creation? 
Do you trust God when He says to be away from this body is to be present with Jesus? And I began this sermon by, ask, by telling you about that incident between Aladdin and Jasmine. Aladdin asking Jasmine, do you trust me? Only after meeting her for a very short time. By any and all human wisdom, there's no good reason for her to say yes. She doesn't know him, doesn't know his character, doesn't know how trustworthy he is. But if God is the one who comes to us and he asks us that question, do you trust me? This is a God who has been faithful to his promises all the way back in the Old Testament for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. He promised that Abraham, he will make him a father of many nations. He kept his promise. This is a God who has done miraculous things to redeem his people out of slavery in Egypt. This is a God who has been patient with his people even though they grumble in the wilderness. A God who is gracious with them even though they sin against him over and over and over again. And when his people are scattered and the nations are split, he promised to be with them and bring them back one day. He has been with his people every step of the way. And he has kept his promises to them. And the day came when Jesus Christ arrived on the scene. All of God's promises all throughout Scripture centers upon the person and work of Christ. He lived a sinless life that we and the Israelites should have lived. He took upon himself the judgment and wrath of God that we deserve. But he rose again victorious over death and sin, redeeming his people out of slavery from their sins. He secured the righteousness for us to be received by faith through the shedding of his blood. And so through Christ, God asks us, do you trust me? And how could we say no? How could we say no when we know this God who has loved us and given us his son? How could we say no after we know all of God's promises in the Old Testament and he has fulfilled them and kept them? How could we say no? Verses 23 to 25. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but for us. To whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. And so God is asking us, do you trust me? Let me pray. Father God, we read of your great work in the Old Testament. And we read of how in your sheer grace you have saved your people, done miraculous, wonderful things to save them out of slavery in Egypt. And when Jesus Christ came, that is all the more amazing because he has done a miraculous thing to save us from our sins. He approached the cross, endured the cross, the scorn and shame that comes with it. Dying on the cross for our sins, was buried, but Lord, in your great power and mercy, you have raised, risen him from the dead. That now he stands as our king, 
And he looks upon us and he says, do you trust me? And Lord, by your spirit, we want to say, in a way that we live, in a way that we obey you, yes, we do trust you, we do follow you. And so, Father, we do ask and pray. We do ask and pray that once again we would go deeper into your promises in the scriptures, that we may know you better so that it will deepen our faith, deepen our trust in you. You who have loved us and given us your Son and given us your Spirit. And so, Father, we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.